Hey, what's up, guys? In this episode of the podcast, uh, this is a Q&A that I did with a new club at UCLA called the UCLA Pre-Med Community. They asked me to come on and do a quick Zoom Q&A session, and I thought it ended up going super well. We went over some very good questions, and I think it's going to bring you a lot of value, so I hope you enjoy it. So thank you, everyone, for joining us tonight, and thank you, Dylan, for um, uh, giving us your time and answering our questions. Um, so yeah, as I was saying, we're a new club at UCLA, the pre-med community. Um, this is our first like official quarter as a club. Um, so yeah, we're a pre-med related club. And um, this is like, we have like events. So this is like one of our medical related events. Um, okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, this is our one of our uh, medical related events. Um, so we can start off with like a brief intro of uh, you and your journey to medical school, like undergrad, things like that, um, whatever you want to talk about. And then we can go into like follow-up questions from there. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, so first of all, I want to thank you guys for having me. It's super humbling that you guys are willing to take an hour out of your last few hours of Thanksgiving break to come and hang out and do a little Q&A talk. Um, I'll be very brief with my intro because I feel like... Um, you know, a lot of my story and the little details is like already out there on like YouTube and my podcast and on like social media and whatever, but I'll give you guys a brief, you know, introduction. And then I'd like to just get to the Q and A as soon as possible, because I really think that that's where the bang for your uh, buck is for the listeners. Um, so I was born and raised in LA. Um, and then after high school, uh, well, I should say during high school, I wasn't like a super studious person. I kind of just, you know, slid through, didn't really work like super, super hard. I didn't really like develop good, like, you know, discipline or whatever. Um, I, I would say I was like an above average student, but not outstanding or extraordinary by any means. Um, and I went to UCI for my undergrad. Uh, first year, got distracted, struggled a bit. Um, you know, college, dorm life, you guys know how it is. Um, ended my, G my freshman year ended with a GPA less than a 3.0. Uh, slowly started to get my act together and getting involved in school and other stuff, uh, brought my GPA up over time. Uh, and then eventually I made the decision that I was going to take the MCAT after I graduated and I was going to apply with two gap years. So that's what I did. I graduated. Um, I took the MCAT the summer after I graduated and then I ended up applying um, and it ended up being two, two gap years. I was really lucky. I got into a few different schools and I ended up here at UCLA. Uh, super happy to be here. It's really nice to be able to go to school close to home. And yeah, now I'm here. I'm in my third year of med school here at UCLA, halfway through my third year. I'm on my internal medicine rotation right now. I just finished up four weeks at Ronald Reagan and I'm doing another four weeks of internal medicine at the West LA VA, which is like on the other side of the 405. So still super close to UCLA. Um, right now my professional interests include surgery. So, uh, really interested in surgery. I think that's probably going to be the field I end up going into. Um, but still definitely open to other fields. I still have like three or four different rotations left in third year and third year is like kind of where you kind of explore all the different fields out there and stuff, but definitely really enjoying my surgery rotation. And I think that's probably what I'm going to end up going into. Um, and yeah, that's me, uh, you, you know, in my free time, I do a lot of like mentorship and stuff like this. I really enjoy, um, you know, doing little talks and mentorship events like this, not only here at UCLA, but at my, at my undergrad UC Irvine, 
I do a good amount of, of mentorship with some organizations there as well. And I post a lot on social media, face, uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, podcast, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. So if you guys want to hit me up on there with some more questions after this, feel free. I respond to all my DMs on Instagram. Um, and yeah, so that's my story. It's like a TLDR version, um, but super happy to be here. I'm really humbled to see you, 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 uh, you guys wanting to come and hang out. Uh, so um, yeah, if there's any like follow-up questions to that or like anything else you guys want to know about me or we can just go straight into Q&A. I'd love to be like as specific and you know, specific to your personal situation. Cause I feel like, you know, this is a really intimate opportunity. Like there's not that many people here in the zoom right now. And I think it's a good opportunity for everyone to kind of, you know, ask some questions that are super specific to your situation. And I think the best advice is advice that's kind of specific to your unique scenario, your, your circumstances. And I think that's one great thing about attending events like this is that you can really get that specific custom tailored advice. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm open to any questions at this time. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, as he said, if, if you want to, um, you can either type your question in the chat or you can go ahead and, uh, mute yourself preferably. Like that's the best option. If you can unmute yourself and ask your question, if you're comfortable doing that, um, if, if no one has any questions, um, I have a few of myself, like if, if no one asks a question within like the next 30 seconds to a minute, I can ask some questions, but yeah, thank you so much. So someone asked, what extracurriculars did you do in college? So I can run you through like my little timeline. Uh, so first year, basically didn't do any extracurriculars except joining a fraternity. And it wasn't like a pre-med or like a pre-health fraternity. It was like a frat frat. Um, so I did that. That was fun. Um, and I did that all throughout the rest of college, like, you know, activities in regards to that, like, you know, leadership and having like positions and stuff. Second year, um, I was elected to the president of the Interfraternity Council, which is kind of like the ASUCLA of like all the frats. Uh, so that was like my first major like involvement, you know, is like kind of like personally a big deal for me because it was a lot of responsibility like thrown onto my shoulders as a sophomore. Um, and then after that, it kind of like snowballed, you know, that really gave me the confidence to kind of go out there and pursue more things. Um, I started doing research in my biochemistry professor's lab. I took about, at UCI, intro to biochemistry is like a mandatory class for all the bio majors. So I, I took that class, ended up really liking it. And I emailed my professor one day, like on a whim, he had no idea who I was. I was like, hey, I really like your class. I read about your research. Is there any chance I could stop by your office to, to, to learn more about your research and see if there's any opportunities for me to get involved? He said, sure, come on by. And I showed up and he basically asked if I wanted to join the lab and that's what happened. And I ended up joining that lab. I did research in that lab from the end of my sophomore year till up about like the end of my first gap year. Um, so very long time I spent in that lab, like, like thousands of hours, honestly. Uh, but I really enjoyed it and I continued doing it because I enjoyed the research, um, ended up getting several publications. Um, in a, a addition to that, I did like some shadowing through the school and um, it was through this program at UCI called the, the Ir it, it was called ICE, like the Irvine Clinical Experience or something. 
Um, and that basically let, let me shadow. I shadowed in the operating room. I shadowed in the, in the emergency department. And this was all at, at UCI. And that was also kind of like another thing where like, you know, like once you start shadowing and you see what it's like, like, you know, being in the hospital and like interacting with doctors and stuff, you're like, oh, wow, like this is like really sick, you know? And that kind of, what, what, that, that was like an additional like inspiration for me to continue like, you know, studying hard and kind of like developing better study habits. Um, I, I did the usual hospital volunteering. Um, another major thing for me was having my own radio show, my school's radio station. I love music. Um, I always thought it would be cool to be a, a DJ and have my own radio show. And I had that opportunity at UCI. We have an FM uh, radio station, 88.9 FM KUCI. And I did that for like three and a half years, had my own radio show, live mixed on air, like, you know, once a week. And it was one of the coolest things I did. Um, and in addition to that, there's just like, you know, tutoring here and there throughout college, like, you know, OCAM tutoring, peer, uh, peer tutoring. I was an RA in my senior year. So that was fun because I love mentorship and I, and I got to mentor a bunch of freshmen and that was awesome. And then in my gap years, I worked for a test prep company teaching people how to take the MCAT and I worked as a scribe as well. And in my gap years, I also continued a lot of the, the things that I started in undergrad because I just stayed around the Irvine area. So that's kind of like a quick rundown of the things I did. Uh, someone else asked, you mentioned getting your act together after your freshman year. Can you expand on that a little more? How did you improve? My grades are definitely worsening this quarter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll be honest, I got to college and I really didn't know what I was doing, like study wise, like, like, I'll give you guys an example, like I took the SAT and I didn't really realize how hard people normally studied for the SAT in high school. You know what I mean? Like, I was just kind of clueless as to, you know, how to study. So I got to, to college at UCI and I, and I look around like everyone kind of already knows what they're doing, you know? And I was like, dude, like I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I found some friends and they kind of, and like they, they would say things like, oh, like you want to go study together? And I'm like, study, like, what do you mean study together? Like, I don't know, it was just like such a, like, I don't know how to explain it because I feel like nowadays, it's much harder to get into college from high school. And I feel like the caliber of students who are starting you know, co college now are much higher caliber than back when I was applying to schools and stuff. So like, I feel like a lot of you guys like probably start college like knowing how to study. But for me, it was just like, I had no idea what the heck I was doing. So it was more just like exploring did, like different study styles and routines and honestly, just kind of getting motivated in general. I went through a phase in my first year where you know, I started out being pre-med in the sense that I would tell people I wanted to go to med school, you know, but um, I wasn't really executing or doing the things that would put me closer to that goal. And then I reached a point in my first year where I was like, you know what, screw this, this major sucks. You know, I was sick of, you know, I was in this really difficult chemistry lab and I was just like, dude, this sucks. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I applied to switch my major out into um, international studies because I thought it was a cool class. I was like testing out a few different classes to see what I would want to switch my major to. And I took an international studies class and I was like, oh, this is cool. I guess I'll just major in this. My application to switch my major ended up getting rejected. And that's like probably the only reason why I continued in my bio major. And then last minute I signed up for a chemistry class over the summer because um, I was like, well, if I'm going to stick with this bio thing, I have to take this chemistry class over the summer because if I don't, at UCI back then, they would kick you out of the bio major if you fell behind. So I was officially behind. So if I didn't take that chemistry class, I would have been kicked out of my major. Um, 
So last minute, I sign up for that summer class. I end up doing it. And I, the, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like that was the first time where I felt like I studied a good amount and I ended up getting an A in that class. And I was like, okay, so this is like what it feels like to put in the work and get that reward. Um, and it felt good. And that summer I just explored like different study strategies and study routines. And I found out what worked for me. And I, and I just like integrated that into my other uh, rest of my time at UCI. But it was really a matter of just like, really making a conscious decision as to, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go for this. I'm going to go for med school. And that kind of being an inspiration for me to like sit down and figure out how to study. Cause effectively, if I didn't really have a goal that I was committing myself to and a commitment can change over time, I can change my mind anytime I want. But I like, once I really made that decision, that conscious choice to like, okay, I'm going to do this. That was like, all right, well, if you want to do this, you got to get your act together. And it was all kind of a consequence of that. So that was, that's kind of like my story um, to, to answer that question. And so someone else asked, I was also considering pushing the MCAT and med school app until I was finished with college. Would you also recommend that? I mean, everyone's different. Um, for me, as I mentioned, like I knew that I wanted to improve my GPA as much as possible because I was fighting an uphill battle after my freshman year. So, and then I realized, you know, I'm not in a rush. I really don't think there's a reason to rush the med school application process at all. I think that you should apply when you feel ready and when you feel like you've built a competitive application. And for some people, that means no gap year. For some people, that means three or four gap years. For some people, that means one or two gap years, you know, um, and that's your journey. And of course, I can understand that sometimes it's hard to, to get our parents and our family and our relatives to understand like that aspect of the process because a lot of people will be like, wait, you graduated, aren't you starting med school in the fall? And it's like, no, like I still haven't applied yet. I have to take MCAT, like, you know, all that stuff. But um, don't be swayed by that. I think that you should just do, uh, like in general, just do what feels right. Don't do what anyone else tells you to do. You should just look over everything you've done so far, your GPA, all the extracurriculars, ask yourself, like, have I kind of filled up all these little check boxes and can I get an application together in a reasonable amount of time? And sometimes that means you have to push back a year. I mean, especially with like COVID and stuff. Now we're starting to kind of get adjusted to everything. But like, you know, I think it's totally understandable to just push back a year so you can build a better application. I mean, like if you're not enjoying the journey, that's like the most important part. And I'll be honest with you, like my success on this med school journey or the journey of getting into med school is because everything I did, I enjoyed it. Like I enjoyed, I genuinely enjoyed the research I was doing. I enjoyed all this. Like I enjoyed the volunteering. I enjoyed the shadowing. Like I never forced myself to do stuff that I don't want to do or that I don't enjoy. Like I, I have a very low threshold for like, if I try something and I hate it, like I'm not going to continue. You know what I mean? And I think that can be a good and a bad trait. Right. But I think, for me, it ended up evolving into me figuring out the sorts of things and activities that I enjoy and like going from there. Um, so yeah. How would you recommend starting on those extracurriculars given COVID? Uh, so, I mean, for me, it's like, I don't know, in my perspective, you just need to find whatever you can right now, right? Like the, way that everything is set up right now is that it's hard to kind of go in and do things in person and like 
you just have to find what you can. And sometimes you can't, and that's okay. But I feel like, you know, if you can't find a volunteer opportunity or like a shadowing opportunity, put the time that you would put in that into something else, right? Start a hobby, uh, turn one of your hobbies into an extracurricular. This is like one of the, in my opinion, I'm like tooting my own horn, but one of the best pieces of advice I can give people is like, if you have a hobby like painting or art or music or whatever, like go all in on that hobby to the point where it's something that you could put on your application. And um, it, that can be that one thing that you do that is all just for your own joy and that will make you enjoy the journey that much more. For me, it was that was having my, my own radio show. Like a lot of people like would be like, what does it have to do with med school? Like, I don't understand that has nothing to do with medicine, but it was one of my most meaningful activities on my application. And they asked me about it at, at every single interview. And for me, it was like, well, I want this creative outlet. And for me, if that's like one of the ways that I cope with stress and a lot of what med schools want to know about you is how do you cope with stress? How do you deal with stressful situations? And the reason why they want to know about that is because med school in and of itself is a very, for most people is a very stressful shift in their life, especially when you get to third and fourth year, when you're actually in the hospital and the hours are crazy and they want to know like, what are your coping mechanisms? And so if you're able to demonstrate that you have like a hobby that you are super into and, and like really passionate about that helps you relieve some of your stress, then that can be a good thing to add to your application. So I'm like word vomiting at this point, but that's my answer to your question, Sunny. How did you handle bad grades or grades you, you didn't expect to get sort of discouraged from poor test scores from time to time? I mean, for me, it, it was understanding like there's no one test or class or grade that's going to dictate the rest of your life. Even the MCAT, you know, you can always retake the MCAT. You know, if you fail a midterm, you can always do better on, on the final. If you fail a final and you get a freaking F or D in the class, like that's just one class, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I think that's a very liberating feeling because then the stress of having to perform 100% like every single time goes away. Cause you just realize in your head, like, okay, like there's no one test that's going to dictate the rest of my life. So, um, that's how I kind of felt about it. And I think that helped me a lot. How did you know you wanted to go to med school instead of pursuing PA, PT or other health professions? So back when I was pre-med, uh, one, the interest in these other health professions definitely was not as prevalent as it is now. Um, so to be honest with you, I never really considered, like I didn't even hear about PAs and stuff until I was probably in my fourth year of college. And in my head, I was like, well, this sounds relatively similar to being a physician. Based on my understanding at the time, it seemed that with PA, there was a little bit less of an overall responsibility and accountability to the patient. And um, at that moment in time, I was like, well, I've been pre-med this whole time. I'll just continue pushing forward. I think that most people who decide to go into med school would probably be just as happy being a PA or some other sort of healthcare provider. Um, I think a lot of the, the choice for some people comes to lifestyle and the amount of time they want to put into training. Training to, to become a, a physician is definitely a long amount of time, four years of med school, three to seven years of residency, and sometimes an additional one to three years of 
fellowship training after residency. So depending on what field and subspecialty and subspecialty you decide to go into, it's a lot of time. Um, and some people don't want to go through that. And like, I mean, more power to you. I think that there's a role for every sort of healthcare provider in the overall like schema of how healthcare is delivered in the US. Um, so for me, I honestly didn't really consider PA or like other healthcare professions because I didn't really know about them until probably like my fourth year. And then by that point, I was already gearing up to take the MCAT and I was like, well, I want to go to med school. And um, yeah, so that's my answer. Not a really good answer if I'm being honest with you, but yeah. What helped you the most when you figured out medicine was for you? What made you say I need to practice medicine and nothing else? Well, I don't think I ever reached the point where it was like, I need to practice medicine and nothing else. I think that's kind of a interesting, I don't want to say bad, but it's a interesting perspective to have. You know, I, it, it, like this is going to sound very cynical, but I think it's weird when people expect pre-meds to have like this, you know, innate desire, like I have to be a doctor and nothing else. When like, you know, when I was a pre-med, like I did a lot of shadowing and a lot of volunteering and a lot of experience in the hospital and comparing that experience to what it's like being a med student and like working with like physicians on the, on the wards and stuff. And it was, it's like night and day, like the understanding of what medicine really entails. So I think that it's interesting that the system is kind of expecting pre-meds to have like this huge, like, you I guess, feeling like you have to practice medicine and nothing else when it's so hard to really un truly understand what practicing medicine is like. I mean, even me as a med student, I don't really know what being a doctor is like because I'm not a doctor. You know what I mean? Even if you have relatives who are doctors or family members who are doctors or friends who are doctors, it's not the same as like living it. So I, I don't think I ever reached that point where I was like, I need to practice medicine and nothing else. What I say to people nowadays is like, you know, if you just have a strong hunch that being a doctor is going to make you happy, then I think it's th like, that's enough to want to go for it, you know? Um, and yeah, I forgot to add earlier in the discussion about how I decided on med school versus PA or other healthcare professions was that after shadowing in the operating room, I just really enjoyed like, like that environment and surgery. And at the time, I was like, well, if I want to be a surgeon, I need to go to med school, right? So I, I always kind of had this interest in surgery. Now, PAs operate as well. Like there are P PAs who do a, like a lot of surgery. So um, I don't want to get that idea that physicians are the only ones who operate like in your head because that's not necessarily true. PAs do a ton of surgery. Um, but at the time, like that was another thing, like in my head, it was like, well, like, you know, like I want to be a surgeon. I want to be like a, a physician surgeon. So that was like kind of like my desire. Now that just stemmed from shadowing experiences. You know, it's not like, I don't know. I feel like I'm word vomiting at this point, but like, again, like I feel like it's unreasonable to expect yourself to have this like crazy, like drive to become a physician. I mean, being a physician is awesome, but like, I have this feeling that a lot of people who ended up deciding on med school, as I mentioned earlier, would have been just as happy or maybe even happier being a PA or a physical therapist or a nurse or some other form of healthcare provider, a respiratory therapist or something like that. Like there's so many different roles within the healthcare system. And I think that if you enjoy patient care, you're probably going to be happy in a variety of different roles, right? 
Uh, so yeah, I hope that helps answer that question. I think we're caught up on the chat questions. Yeah, so I haven't seen any new questions in the chat yet, um, but I wanted to ask a question myself. So um, this is kind of like a somewhat personal question, but I've been wanting to ask it for a really long time. Mm -hmm. um, so basically when I first transferred to UCLA a year ago, fall 2019, my first quarter here, I was taking three classes. One of those classes was um, the first organic chemistry class. And I, I always knew OCHEM was difficult. I knew it took a lot of practice, but um, like I was still adjusting to the quarter system. It was really difficult. <coughs> Sorry. So basically what happened was um, I ended up taking the final exam for that class, even though I wasn't doing as well as I wanted to. Um, so I took the final and then I ended up not getting a passing grade for that class. As you mentioned earlier, I know you were talking about um, the subject of grades. So I ended up not getting a passing grade for the class, but I did retake that same class and I ended up uh, actually getting like the desired grade that I wanted. So, and then after um, that quarter, I was reading a bunch of things on Reddit and like a bunch of other platforms like med schools don't take into account the grade you got when you retook the class. They only look at the initial grade you, um, you got when you took that class, even if it's a non-passing grade. So, and then I read a bunch of these posts and I was like, this is really gonna hurt my med school application because it's gonna bring like uh, my science GPA down a lot. It's gonna hurt my chances of getting into a good med school. So that thought has been on my mind a lot. Sorry if this is like a really long question, but that thought has been on my mind a lot. So I'm kind of worried about that in terms of like my GPA because I know GPA is like one of the most important factors in med school apps. So yeah, I just wanted to hear your input on that. Yeah, dude. I, well, first of all, you know, I think it's awesome that you shared that with all the other people here. Um, so I want to give you props for that because I feel like the culture is so like, oh, like I don't want to talk about my struggles or like my bad grades and stuff because, you know, it's a lot of people feel embarrassed, like, you know, talking about that stuff. And I just want to give you major props for, for sharing that because like, I know that it goes against like the norm of the culture and stuff. Uh, so yeah, I think it's really admirable that you're sharing that right now. Um, and it response to the actual question, dude, it's like, so I think what you're reading online has to do with the fact that before, like a few years ago, or I should say prior to a few years ago, um, if you applied through the DO med school application system, they would do something called grade replacement, where if you failed a class and if you retook a class, that they would replace your original failing grade in the class with the new passing grade that you got. So let's say you got an F in OCHEM and you retake the class and you got an A. The F would still be on your transcript because it's like your UCLA transcript, right? But in regards to your application, they wouldn't count the F and they would only count the A instead. But that rule a few years ago changed. Now there's no more uh, grade replacement. So for someone in that scenario, it would just count as an F and an A. It would still count as them passing the class because they later got an A in the class. But now both the F and the A would contribute to their GPA. Um, 
in regards to what you're saying about like med schools only look at the initial class, like the initial grade, I, that sounds like a blatantly false statement. Um, like, I, like if you just like saying it out loud, it sounds weird. Like, doesn't it sound unreasonable to fault someone for maybe having a rough quarter and then being like, oh, well, you failed OCHEM once, you're screwed, man. Like, there's no way that you're getting into med school. Like, no, I promise you that's not how it works. So, um, you know, I think it's awesome that you retook the, the class and got the grade that, that you wanted. At this point, it's in the past. It's going to influence your GPA, but like, I'm sure that was a big learning experience for you and a, a feeling of achievement for you that you were able to retake the, the class and do much better than you originally did. So I would just realize that it's not going to affect you that much. Like, it's just one class. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Of course. Uh, someone asked, did you think about attending grad school before med school? Uh, so normally when people use the term grad school, I think of like a PhD or like a master's program. I did not think of doing that. Um, you know, I enjoyed research, but I don't think I enjoyed it enough to make me want to do a PhD program. Um, and I didn't really have a desire to do like a master's program in anything. Like in my head, I was like, okay, well, like I'm just going to apply to med school. Um, I think what this question is getting at is, did you consider doing a post-bac or a master's to improve your medical school application? And uh, no, I did not. Uh, my GPA, I'll just, I'll give you guys all my numbers because I don't feel bad sharing them. Like, I just want to be like transparent with you guys. Uh, by the time I graduated from UCI, my GPA was, my CUME GPA was 3.64 and my science GPA was 3.84. Um, so looking at those numbers at the time, I was like, you know, I think this is decent enough where like, I don't re really think I should do like a post-bac or like a master's. Um, and I ended up scoring really well on the MCAT. I got a 523. And at that point I was like, okay, like I think that this pair of, like this group of stats is enough to get me into med school without having to do a post-bac or a master's. Now, my general thoughts in regards to post-bac and master's is that I just really think those, like, I'm not, I don't normally suggest them to people unless they're in like specific circumstances. For example, if they never took the med school prereqs, then I think, that's a reasonable option. Um, I think that, you know, even if your GPA, if you, like you may think your GPA is low, but if you go and blow the MCAT out of the water, you could probably still get into med school without having to dump money and time into doing a post-bac or a master's. And if you still wanna do some sort of graduate program, the only sorts of programs that I recommend nowadays are the ones where if you do the program, they guarantee you acceptance into medical school. Like, my friend did a program where um, he basically took the same classes as the first year medical students. And they told him, okay, if you score in the top 50% of the class, we'll guarantee you acceptance into our med school. And I think that's great because that's basically saying, you know, if you work your butt off for a year and just pour all your eggs and time into this one basket um, that you're going to get a guaranteed acceptance. Um, I think there's a lot of other graduate programs out there, especially in the last few years that have been created to basically give like pre-med and pre-health students 
you know, an opportunity to, to like prove themselves to like on their applications, like, oh, look at me, I got, I, I did well in this master's program, which is nice, but I'd rather you apply and do a program that, that gives you some sort of uh, guaranteed acceptance because that's really where you're going to get the bang for your buck. Um, I think a lot of these programs, I mean, this is like a hot take, but I think a lot of these programs were just made basically to make these universities and institutions more, more uh, money because they know that desperate pre-med and pre-health students are going to be down to drop forty dollars to $50,000 for an opportunity to get to take an extra year of classes and do really well and get a, a little certificate that says, hey, I finished the a post-bac or a master's uh, program. Um, and I think a lot of these don't really do much to like, like really advance your application that much. And, you know, of course my perspective is not c colored with like scientific evidence or studies or anything, but these are just my thoughts and opinions. Like I always am hesitant to recommend to people that people take more classes when they don't have to, because like, you know, let's say you do that master's program and you end up not doing super well, then you're, you've just dug yourself into a deeper hole. And depending on your financial circumstances, now you're just in more debt. Um, so my recommendations with these master's programs and the postbacks are really like, I really need to know your whole story and your background, et cetera, in order to make like a formal recommendation for or against. But on average, I always tend to swing like on the side of no, I would not recommend. I'd rather just have you work your butt off for, for the rest of your time at UCLA and tr try to get the best GPA possible and then take the MCAT and work your butt off and try to get the best MCAT score possible, then reevaluate the, the situation. But um, yeah, I hope that's helpful. Um, I had one question about uh, the MCAT in specific. So um, I've read a bunch of posts again on Reddit because they have like this, um, this subreddit called MCAT that a bunch of people get like study materials from. Yeah. Um, but I was just curious because I've seen so many posts on there. Um, how long, I know it's, it's different, uh, depending on like the type of person you are in terms of studying, but how long did it take you to study for the MCAT and, um, like what test prep materials did you use the most or find most helpful? Yeah. So I'll start this off by sharing with you guys. I have an MCAT study guide at this, at, at this website link right here that you guys can go and check out. That contains all my general MCAT study recommendations in a more, I guess, typed out eloquent format than me saying it out loud. Um, and I think the amount of time you take to study really depends on your situation. For example, if you've already finished all your prereqs and you finish school and you're like me and you just graduated and you have nothing else like on your plate, then it's going to take you less time to study for the MCAT versus you're in school and you're working a full-time job, right? Like, so I think we need to be reasonable here, right? My general recommendation is that you eliminate as many responsibilities as you can while you're studying for, for the MCAT. Well, I should say, number one, I recommend you not study for the MCAT while you're in school unless you absolutely have to. Number two, 
Um, I recommend that pe people like limit as many external responsibilities as possible. And I know that for some people, it's not always possible. Like if you have to financially support your family, you can't quit your job. And that's just one example. And I totally get that. But if you can just limit as many additional responsibilities as possible so you can put all your time into the MCAT. Um, so for me, that I, I basically studied eight weeks for the MCAT, like six to 10 hours a day, six days a week. Um, you know, if I felt good one day, I'd go for 10 hours. And if I was over another day, I'd go for like six or seven hours. Um, but I always had like one rest day a week. Um, and like, I made my study basically focus solely on practice material. Um, so uh, yeah. And then I took a test prep course with a test prep company. Um, and I didn't find the course itself super valuable, like in terms of like the instructors and the, and the teachers and stuff. It was a fun social environment because I met a group of friends that I'm still friends with to this day from that class. And we're all in med school now and it's really cool. But like, I feel like when you pay for a test prep course, you really need to make sure that you're, that the course is coming with a good amount of practice material. Cause that's really what you should be paying for. Um, like practice questions, practice exams, et cetera. Like you can find YouTube lectures on whatever topic you want. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, those are my general thoughts. So it depends, right? Like if you can, and it also depends on when you plan on applying. Like if you're planning on applying with no gap years, you basically need to take the MCAT prior to the end of your junior year. So if someone was planning on applying to med school without any gap years, then you have to, then I, what I would say is try to take the MCAT the summer in between your second and third year so that you're not studying for it while you're in school and that you can just take it over the summer and be done with it. Um, so yeah, those are my general thoughts. And also uh, back when I was studying for the MCAT, Anki wasn't really a popular thing to study for the MCAT with, but now it is. You can, on that same subreddit, you can find um, pre-made Anki decks for the MCAT. And I would just do those alongside your classes. Like let's say you're taking Gen Chem and, and like physics or whatever. I would do the Gen Chem and physics Anki cards alongside your like classes so that when summer hits and it's actually time to go full steam ahead for the MCAT, you already have this like a nice amount of Anki cards under your belt. And to learn more about Anki, I would go on Reddit and Google and read more about Anki because they can explain it better than I can, but it's basically a flashcard program. Uh, so someone asked during a gap year, what would you recommend us to do if we aren't able to land a job? Well, one, I'd be like, do you need a job? Like like not everyone needs a job during their gap year, right? Like some people have a bunch of clinical experience already and they don't need a job. They, they may need research experience and you can do research for free. Like you don't have to do research as like a paid thing. Um, so like, I think what I'm saying is I need more context on your, on your question. Like, are you in your gap year now or are you planning a gap year? Um, in general, for people who are trying to plan a gap year, look at everything that you've done so far and ask yourself what's missing and try to focus on those things that are missing. What would you say was the strongest part of your application? Um, I mean, I did really well on the MCAT. I got a 523. Um, 
I had multiple publications. Um, I had themes in my application, like I talked a lot, like the, the, the extracurriculars that I did all had some common themes. Like I was really like passionate about mentorship and teaching. So a lot of my extracurriculars revolved around that. I was really passionate about like uh, the kind of like emotional side of healthcare. I helped coordinate a class at UCI called Compassion in Healthcare. And this was basically like a one unit seminar class, like where, like where we had guest speakers come and talk about like, uh, you know, the aspects of healthcare that aren't like super like sciencey, like, like how to communicate with patients and like, you know, empathy and compassion and stuff like that. So I was really into that as well. And that was a big part of my application as well. And I was kind of, I kind of weave that in with like the whole music and radio thing because I talked about like, you know, why it's important to embrace creativity alongside the super sciencey and the technical aspects of medicine. Um, and I mean, I did a lot. I took two gap years. I had plenty of time to do all the extracurriculars and make sure I like squared away. And if I needed more time, I would have taken a third gap year, right? Like, so I don't know if I'm answering your I don't know if I've answered your question or not, but I guess like what I'm trying to say is that I took enough time where I made sure that every aspect of my application was as strong as possible. Now, GPA is one of those like immutable things where like once you graduate, your undergrad GPA is essentially set in stone. Um, but everything else, like I really took the time to polish and shine like the rest of my application. So, yeah. Um, in regards to the MCAT, so I know you were talking about like timing, like when you're planning to take the MCAT, if you want to, um, if you want to attend medical school right after you graduate undergrad, you have to take it like um, at the end of your junior year, like latest or something like that. So I was um, wondering, like, let's say um, if a if a student like graduates um, from undergrad and then they plan to take the MCAT like a year after they graduate does that mean that um so they have that like one year after they graduate and then they're going to be taking like two gap years or how does that work so is your so I don't think I understand the question like are you just like asking about like the timing of the MCAT like if you because I've been kind of confused on like the concept of like when you plan to take the MCAT so like let's say if someone like plans if someone graduates undergrad and then like they take a year to do like um extracurriculars and research and then they're studying during that year off too um and then they take the mcat um and then like from the moment they take the mcat to when they apply is that like a year in between or like i don't know i'm not sure like if i'm as asking my question appropriately but like so basically you, you need, in order for your application to be processed by the medical schools and for them to decide whether or not they want to give you an interview, they need an MCAT score, right? Um, so if you're not taking a gap year, uh, you basically want to have your MCAT score by the end of your junior year, because you ideally you want to submit your application as soon as it's possible to submit your application because everything happens on a rolling basis, right? 
So um, if you're taking one gap year, that means you have up until the end of your senior year. And if you're taking two gap years, you, you have up until the end of your first gap year. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, that, that makes more sense. Yeah. I was kind of confused because again, like I read a bunch of different things. So I don't, it's like hard to believe like one set thing, but yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. So someone asked, what would your opinion be about virtual clinicking, uh, clinical and shadowing experience? Yeah, I've seen a lot about this. Um, you know, from my understanding, these virtual shadowing experiences are more just like lectures and case studies where like a doctor or a medical student or like whatever walks you through a case where they talk about what happened and, and like, you know, how the patient presented and the diagnostic tests that they ordered and what the patient ended up having and stuff. And I really think that that's a lecture. That's not really like shadowing, like shadowing and clinical experiences when you're like there, like living it and you're watching and you're seeing what happens in real time. Again, medical students, I mean, uh, medical schools and admissions committees may have a different perspective. And like, they may think that virtual shadowing and stuff is like reasonable to have on your application. To me, it's, I don't know, like my gut feeling is that it's not really much, you know, um, it's better than nothing, but at the same time, like when COVID starts to loosen up, I would definitely still try to secure some in-person shadowing. Um, and to be honest, like there's going to be opportunities, right? A lot of people, I think, flock to like the virtual shadowing things because um, they haven't had success asking people or like getting doctors to shadow. And it's all just a numbers game. I would just continue trying to reach out to doctors to see if there's anyone you can shadow. Now that COVID is kind of spiking again in LA, it's probably not the best time, but when things start to loosen up again, I mean, I would continue reaching out now with the intent of having something secured for when the pandemic starts to loosen up again. Uh, but yeah, my gut feeling is that like, it can't hurt you obviously to have like some sort of like virtual experience, but it's nothing like the real thing. But again, that's just my opinion and, and perspective. Uh, what keeps you motivated when you're super stressed out or tired? Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't feel bad taking breaks, like at all. You know, like I don't feel bad taking breaks from studying or like taking breaks from responsibilities. Like, I feel like I have a good sense of like, like at this point, right after finishing college and being more than halfway through med school, I feel like I have a good sense of like who I am and like how I operate. Where like, um, I know that like if I need to take a break. I should probably take a break or like if I need to take a day off, I should probably just, you know, take a day off. Um, of course, there's going to be circumstances where like you can't like on my trauma surgery rotation where I, I was like literally staying up for like 28 hours straight. Right. And you're like, I remember like there was one case we, we were operating from like 10 PM to like six or 7 AM, like the next day. And like in that moment, it's like, you can't really like stop, you know what I mean? So I guess like that's one example of a circumstance where I can't really take a break, but I mean, I don't know, you just like try to stay in the moment and 
try to stay engaged. I mean, it was a really awesome experience, but like, you know, in terms of like, just like general, like study wise and stuff like that, like, I don't feel bad taking breaks. So if I'm feeling super stressed out and tired, I usually just take a break. I wanted to go to China during the summer after COVID passes and was considering finding a doctor to shadow there. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I don't see how that can hurt you. I, it, that sounds like a cool clinical experience. I don't have any negative thoughts towards that. Um, I wanted to ask something um, more specific. So like mm -hmm. during um, medical school interviews, I've heard like, from a bunch of med school applicants like uh one of the universal questions asked is like why do you want to become a doctor and i feel like it's really easy to give like cliche answers to that question and um like give answers that that are not really like genuine so i want to know i know it's different for every person again but like what would you recommend focusing on to give like a genuine and like real answer to that question well, I think this all starts with, well, first of all, if you made it to the interview stage, you've already written your personal statement, right? So I would refer back to that, right? So let's work backwards. If you haven't written your personal statement yet, the way that I recommend people write it is by looking at all their extracurriculars and you know their life up until this point and find what are some of the meaningful moments and tie them together in a personal statement. Um, so that's where I would start. Like I would just, you know, tie it back to your own personal experiences and your experiences in your extracurriculars and how, you know, what you've done and what you've witnessed and what you've experienced, how that has influenced your desire to continue moving forward on this path, right? So I think you should just always tie it back to things that you've done or experienced up until that point. Does that make sense? Yeah, so those experiences don't have to be necessarily like all medical related or like, um, like research related, right? Like it can also be like personal or like emotional moments from your life mm -hmm. that contribute to that answer. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the way that you don't sound cliche about it is when you're being genuine. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if a family member's course through an illness was that motivational for you, then you're not gonna come off as cliche when you're talking about it because you're being genuine, right? Now, yeah. I would encourage you to find some other things to add in along to that experience, right? But, you know, I think as long as you're being genuine, like that's the way to go. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, yeah, thank you. Um, so I guess I can ask another question. Um, so another thing I wanted to ask was, um, I saw like another medical student make like a TikTok about um, how to start on uh, med school, like personal statements. And one of the ideas they gave was basically talking about like any clinical research you've done or shadowing. Um, so I was supposed to start a shadowing program um, at Ronald Reagan, like this quarter in the beginning of this quarter, but obviously it got canceled and we did like some virtual thing online, but didn't really like follow through with it. Um, so I feel like a lack of clinical exposure, especially like as a senior transfer student at UCLA, I feel like we have very limited time, especially now with COVID to find like clinical research. So I want to know, like, 
how can I kind of like, um, uh, like patch up my application in terms of like clinical research and stuff, since I haven't really had the opportunity to gain it like in the hospital because like you said you have to be like there to actually experience and gain from it so I'm kind of like scared in the sense that we don't really have time I don't know well you always have time right you it, you in your head feel like you don't have time be, because you're committing to a certain timeline based on when you want to submit your application right yeah, basically. So, so like, you know, one, you use the term clinical research a few times, and I think you meant to say like clinical experience in general. Is that yeah, what you meant to say? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, I don't know if there's like an official stance on this, but like, I have a feeling that admissions is going to be a little bit more lenient in regards to clinical experience with this upcoming application cycle. That may not be the case. And like, you know, I think as we're living through it right now, like we can see the pandemic kind of waxing and waning and the restrictions waxing and waning, right? And um, the opportunities to do shadowing and stuff like that are also going to wax and wane. Now, um, if you feel like this is a huge like thing that's missing from your application, maybe it's not best to apply so soon. You know what I mean? Similarly, you know, if you already have some under your belt, then depending on how the rest of your application looks like, it may be okay to proceed with applying. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. Seeing where we're at right now, I think for people who are planning on applying, you know, this upcoming June and this upcoming cycle. Now, I think that it's okay to get your things together and go move forward with the plan on applying, but just know if like things get really bad and you're not able to find some, like a really good clinical experience, just be open to the idea of maybe pushing back another year, especially if you can find a, another opportunity to do in that like extra year. But, um, you know, that's definitely not a perfect answer you know, because there's just like no way to know how lenient admissions is going to be like, you know, given all the stuff with like COVID and whatnot. Um, of course, like it's an additional interesting component where it's just like, well, you could get a job in healthcare, but then it's like, okay, now you're, you're asking these pre-meds to subject themselves to potentially dangerous work conditions by exposing themselves to like, you know, COVID and like whatnot, like, like, for example, if you get a job as a medical scribe in the emergency department, that's kind of like volunteering to go out and be in like COVID land. You know what I mean? And like, again, like, I don't know if that's okay or not. That's, that, that's kind of like an ethical question at that point. But like, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is just be open to your, to having to delay another year. If you really feel like, um, you don't have enough experience right now. So I will just continue searching. And then depending on how things look a year from um, like a few months from now, then you can re-evaluate and, and see where you're at. Thank you so much. Uh, someone asked, what would you say to someone who lacks the confidence that they'll be able to get into med school? I mean, you know, it's tough. It's just like, it's just an application process, right? 
Now there are multiple different components and moving parts or whatever, but um, you know, I think that if you've made it into like UCLA, you have what it takes to get into med school. I mean, it's not easy to, to get accepted to a school like UCLA or to any university for that matter. I mean, like you kind of have to almost show yourself that you have what it takes, right? And the way that you do that is by getting those small wins. Like, as I mentioned in the beginning, like that small win of me getting that A in that first, like, you know, summer chemistry class and being like, okay, so this is what it feels like, you know, like you kind of have to prove to yourself that you have what it takes. Um, and it's all about racking up those small wins and maybe it's an A in a class, maybe it's landing a research opportunity or a volunteer opportunity or an interesting work opportunity. But it's just a matter of like, proving it to yourself almost, um, proving to yourself that like you can do those little building blocks that, that eventually lead up to getting into med school. You know what I mean? So that's what I would say. Um, but I mean, I was in those shoes too. Like my first year of undergrad, I was like, there's no way I'm, I'm gonna be able to get into med school. Cause I looked at the people around me who were also pre-med and I was like, these people are so smart. And they work so hard and like, I don't know how they do it, uh, but I just had to prove it to myself and learn, right? Like how I function, how I operate and just like go from there. So we just reached eight o'clock. So if anyone has any like last minute questions, Dylan, if you're okay with like answering yeah. like last minute questions. Of yeah. Course. Um, if anyone wants, they can again, like unmute themselves or um, type it in the chat just before we end the meeting, but yeah. Um, or you can always um, DM Dylan on Instagram. I can type his Instagram username. So yeah, his Instagram username is at medschooldylan. For those that are watching the recording, it's D-I-L-L-O-N. Um, so yeah, thank you to everyone for ans uh, asking these great questions. And thank you so much, Dylan, for giving all of the advice and uh, guidance it's always great to hear from you and your story um, we really appreciate it um, but yeah so yeah um, so if there's any last minute questions feel free to ask um, I also want to add like you know it's tough being a pre-med you know what I mean and just know it's always okay to take a break it's always okay to quit things I mean like if you like if you have that one activity or involvement that you genuinely hate just quit it seriously you know like nothing is worth being miserable for right like um so I want you all to feel comfortable not doing things that you don't enjoy because like the more you find joy in like the day-to-day -day and the involvements and stuff and the extracurriculars, the easier this path is going to be, right? So I think, you know, as like a, a golden nugget, like just always focus on doing things that you enjoy. Um, and I think if you do that, things eventually will fall into place. And in addition, don't commit yourself to like a certain timeline because everyone's journey is unique. You may have a friend who's able to get into med school with no gap years and you, you yourself may end up having to take three or four gap years and that's like totally fine, right? So just don't compare yourselves to other people's journeys and always focus on doing what you enjoy and what you wanna do.
Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the podcast. And you know what? If you enjoyed it and you got some value, I'd really appreciate it if you shared the podcast with a friend who you think would also get some value from listening to, to this content. Remember, if you ever have a question, you can hit, hit me up on social at, at MedSchoolDylan. Or if you're on Facebook or LinkedIn, you can just search my first and last name, Dylan DeJam. I hope you have a wonderful day, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon.